Welcome to Soccer Better Season 3. We're Liz and Laura Ellen. Liz is a lawyer and Laura Ellen is the scientist. We've put our education to use by digging into the analytical side of all things soccer. Each episode, we discuss a piece of soccer or sports research. Join us as we discover how we can all soccer better. Okay, Liz, welcome back. We are here, Season 3, Episode 8 of Soccer Better, and we have a doozy of an article. Yeah, you know, I read this, and I picked it out, and... um. I think maybe it would have been a better episode nine. Like, as a way to end the season, I've made choices giving you this article. No, I I mean, okay, maybe. But then people can listen to these episodes in whatever order they want. So maybe this is someone's episode nine. Yeah. Uh, doesn't fair. matter. But let's dig into it because I took lots of notes. I think you took lots of notes. So we'll dig right in. I will note, and I do want to acknowledge, that today's author has a reasonably length title to the the article. It's not 100 words long, and I can get it out in one breath. So here we go. Evolution of soccer as a research topic. Full stop, guys. That's it. Full stop. There's no colon with, like, a whole thing. It's just that. Uh, so this article was was written by Donald T. Kirkendall and was published in the year 2020 and in the Journal of Progress in Cardiovascular Diseases. I did think after reading this article, I don't exactly know how it connects to cardiovascular diseases uh, in a meaningful way. There's certainly a paragraph, but here we are. So, I didn't even pay attention to where it was published, and and now I am also a little confused. I just, I mean, maybe he should have put that paragraph sooner, and then I would have felt more connected to cardiovascular diseases. Maybe. Just an idea. Yeah. So, um, so this article, yes, okay. The evolution of soccer is a research topic. I've already said the title. So... Donald Kirkendall, what he did here was he, I feel like I need to take a step back because I feel like there's a lot of layers to digest in this article and and we need to set some context. Okay. Okay. So, uh, people do research and then they publish it in the form of articles, which is what we discuss here on Soccer Better. Okay, so there's all these articles that are out there that exist in the world on a wide range of topics. Again, we know this because we've talked about a lot of them. Okay, so what will sometimes happen or often happen is when a group of articles on a very specific topic gets to be a certain size, so maybe 30 articles, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 articles, um, what people will do is called a systematic review. And so what that is, it's this very specific process. And I think I've explained this before, right? But it's this specific process that you use to search databases, which this gets into what he talks about. But uh, uh, researchers will then search databases for specific key terms. And then what they will do is look for all the articles on that particular topic. So maybe 
we're looking at cardiovascular disease in retired female professional soccer players. Right, okay, so maybe that's the topic. And so we search all the databases for those key terms. And then what we do is we synthesize all of the research studies that talk about that specific topic. And so what that does, and again, he talks about this in his article, but what that does, and this is a, a pretty common practice. I have published many of these types of articles, these types of systematic reviews, um, is it says, this is what the field this is what research says about this topic thus far. These are the gaps. These are the things we don't know. Okay, so as kind of that contextual thing, as this is like a very common thing that exists in science, that exists in research, again, as a relatively new researcher myself, I have published several systematic reviews. Okay, what he is doing in this article is he is saying what he essentially searched databases that people would search for systematic reviews. So there's one called PubMed that he talks about. He also talks about Web of Science. And so what he does is he searches those databases for the key term soccer and some related terms, which we'll talk about. And he's just looking at how many articles show up. What is the number? So when you go to PubMed, you know, you Google search PubMed, anybody can do this. PubMed is freely accessible to the public. Google search PubMed, go to the website, and you search in the search bar soccer, you get X hundred thousand articles. And that is what he is using for the basis of this article. Did that make any sense, Liz? It made a lot of sense to me, yes. But I think it's also because he explains it very well. I also like that he explained how these different databases are built and that there isn't as much overlap as you might think because of the different criteria that they have for being included in a database, the ways that these databases are growing, not only with new research, but being able to put in previous research um, and the limitations that are available in metadata, which um, I work with enough you know, software as a service agreements and things like that, that metadata is something I'm familiar with. So it was really interesting for me to see how he used these databases as a place to start, but then really had to fine tune what he was looking at and the Boolean searches that he was doing in order to get something that is useful uh, for this paper. Yes, and I think that is the key term there, useful, because so... I guess maybe I am working under the assumption that most researchers have somewhat of an idea of how systematic reviews work because he does go into great detail, you know, and he starts with a quote by Winston Churchill and then quotes Mark Twain. And I'm just like, what an intro, right? I have never read an academic article that quotes both Winston Churchill and Mark Twain in the first paragraph, which is um, what Dr. Kirkendall has done again, it's fine, right? So, okay, so I'm working under that assumption. So maybe that is a flawed assumption. What I would say is that any researchers who work with research librarians, which if you are in college or graduate school, or if you are a researcher yourself, the research librarians at your university are the best people in the world. They are the best resource for you. Liz, did you use the, did you use the librarians when you were in law school? Um, to some extent, 
Uh, I was always a huge nerd and always loved the library and obsessed with, you know, the card catalog and stuff. So I didn't use them as much as probably most people would have, but it was simply because I had already spent so many years inside of a library that even in law school, um, I just felt extremely at home. So it didn't take much for me to just be like, this is my hidey hole. And, um, yeah, and kind of live there. Okay. Also remember, uh, card catalogs, actual cards. Yeah. Dewey decimal system. Oh my gosh. I remember learning about that in elementary school and Mm -hmm. loving it. Right. It's very ordered. It's very structured. That's like right up my alley. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I guess that's a flawed assumption. Um, but like a lot of what he wrote, I was like, this is not interesting because anyone who has done a systematic review would know all of this. But, you know, upon reflection, upon us having this conversation, um, I can see how this would be beneficial for people who have not done several systematic reviews or who have not become BFFs with their um, research librarian as I have. Um, so I have just talked a whole bunch about kind of the, I mean, I, I, to be fair, I think it's important to kind of like have this context. I think he does like explain it well, but also I was like, okay, this isn't something that's unique to soccer. And I don't think he tries to make it unique to soccer, but this is like a very common thing that happens in all fields of science, like everything from technology to, you know, molecular biology to social science to public health, right? Right. Systematic reviews are very common everywhere. Um, so Liz, what were your like initial thoughts as you read through the first couple sections of this paper? Yeah. I mean, as someone who's never done a systematic review, cause I mean, law school is very much based on precedent so all I needed to know was if something was overturned or if it was still good law and I could just read the latest case on that I could read the latest regulation on that so I've never done a systematic review so I found a lot of the information to be very interesting I also am probably predisposed to like him because I think in the third paragraph um, he points out that in order to find you know issues and flaws and gaps that are in the literature that are in the research you need to talk about it and you need to look at all of it and then someone needs to give you homework and I'm here to give you homework. So our homework is helping science. Like this just isn't about me, even though I like to talk about myself a lot. I'm helping the science. So I'm a scientist, right? She, guys, she's saying no. <laughs> sure. Uh-huh. All right. I may not be a scientist, but that did predispose me to... Um, think very favorably of the article. Now, there, there are issues, and of course we'll talk about them because I'm a snarky person, and I love to point out things that make me snark. But overall, I found a lot of the information to be very interesting, and some of the comparisons to be pretty interesting. So, like, my favorite comparison is that, like, over the past few years, soccer, of course, has been written about more and more, and he will tell you so many times that since 1980... The number has just increased astronomically. 1980, guys. Just so many more articles since 1980. Couldn't tell you enough. But uh, that comparison is like there's 50 to 100 new records 
each month. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, that sounds like a lot. And he's like, just to compare it, like, the current <laughs> the current count for new articles per month for cancer is 15,000. And I was like, oh, oh, that's some perspective. Which is, like, it's nice to have, but it's just, like, it's those tidbits that were in here, I did find very interesting. Yeah, I... So I think what, I think the thing that I kept getting hung up on um, in this article is that this was published in a peer-reviewed journal. I don't think that this is getting to the best audience, right? This is written for a lay audience or like new graduate students or something, right? Like this is not written for seasoned scientists, which, like, it's fine if you want to publish something like this in the peer review, right? This journal decided to publish it. Okay, fine. But I I think maybe the thing that I keep coming back to, right, which has nothing to do with, like, what he, I mean, I guess it is, has something to do with what he actually wrote. But, like, is this actually getting to the audience that uh, this is written for, right? Like, this doesn't, from my perspective, as a scientist, as someone who reads these kinds of peer-reviewed articles every day, I'm like, you know, I just kept writing, like, this isn't surprising. Well, no, duh. Well, right, like, we know that published research, like, every day, it just increases exponentially across all fields, right? And so, like, he's like, well, soccer is also increasing exponentially, but not at the rate of all things. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course, people aren't necessarily incentivized to publish research on soccer. But it's cool to hear that research on soccer is still increasing. And there are still um, uh, differences and things that I think we can look at and ways that we can soccer better in research broadly. Um, so maybe I'm just going to try really hard for the rest of our conversation to get off my snarky high horse um, and talk about what the fine man wrote Uh because I mean, maybe I'm feeling a little bad. Uh, I mean, welcome to my world. But I mean, maybe I can help you in this. So I think that the paper was probably twice as long as I needed it to be in order for him to give actual guidance to writers of the future. So I can understand where you're coming from. But I think that a lot of the stuff that was pointed out, um, some of it I was like, oh, that's great. That's a place that we can go. Some of it was... Please, please don't use as an excuse. And I'm sure you all know what topic was excused, but we'll get to it for sure. Um, but overall, I think that knowing what's already been covered and what's been covered at an increased pace and what's being left behind is important for future researchers. And so I think that that's someplace that he is trying to lead the next generation. I just think that his paper... Um, it probably was a passion project. I feel like this was a passion project that he really likes writing about probably soccer and soccer research. I mean, based on his history, he has other soccer articles. So I, I can feel the passion project part of it. And I could have done more with the, here's what I found. And here are interesting gaps that are missing. So just, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree with you. And so, you know, I think we've done enough, like, contextualizing. So do we, do we want to talk about what he actually found? I mean, I do think, right, your point, he, and I will say, he has some very nice figures that are very easy to understand. He uses color well. Um, 
to help illustrate his point, you know, over time, how publishing has changed based on gender or age or, you know, whatever the other um, things that he's talked about. So I, I would say uh, that that was really nice to see. And I was like, oh, this is great. I, I really do appreciate that. Um, you know, I love I love me a good figure and a good table, you know, that are easy to understand. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Liz, what were some of the findings based on his kind of search of these databases for the term soccer? Um, what were some of his findings that were of particular interest to you? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to start with the elephant in the room, which is gender. It's always the elephant in the room. He talks about how currently um, soccer research either doesn't, there's a whole slew of, of the research papers that did not mention gender at all. And because of the papers that we've read and where I find gaps in general, I'm assuming that none of those papers involve female soccer players. I just find it very unlikely. I have no proof of this. And you guys can call me as jaded as you want because it's true. Um, Of the remaining papers, only 25% talk about female players. And I think that at this time, we have female players at all levels. We have female players who are playing professionally, who are playing as children, who are playing, you know, recreationally in high school, college, after college. Like, There's no reason for that to still be such a small part. And I got very upset because he talks about... He's like, you know, I understand that 25% is, you know, a small percentage, but if you look at FIFA's numbers, only 2% of the players are women. I was like, well, there's your problem. 2% of the players are women. We're not making opportunities for women. Maybe you should research them more so that you're bringing forth their opportunities. Don't use this as an excuse. So there's my high horse. There's the elephant in the room. Um, it, it, that's a problem for me. So, oh. One hundred percent. I, uh, you can tell that Liz and I have been doing this for some time, uh, because I, you know, put brackets by that section, and I was like, "Don't give men an out. Like, don't have them be like, well, it's only two percent. We're doing twenty-five percent, so I guess we're being no. Uh, uh-uh. uh, that's not okay. You're not being representative. Like, this is this is not about no." 100% Liz. I'm right there with you. Um, the age stuff was unremarkable to me. I mean, a lot of people are interested in children, obviously. A lot of people are interested in pro players, obviously. Um, I don't I don't know. There's a lot of gaps there. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like if you're covering recreational stuff, you'll hit whatever you do. If you're doing development, you'll cover people who are under the age of 18. That's just sort of... That's more about the article type which is the next thing that he talks about i think that that's more important when it comes to finding the age groups um, those are just naturally going to fall into them but i did think that the article types were interesting so that everything started off with injury prevention like that is the first thing that soccer papers were about was just they solely wanted to know how to prevent injuries um and then now there's there's a shift that he's you know showing in in his review and it's that now the concern is really what's important for training and performance overall. And Laurel, do you think it's because those two are so intrinsically linked or do you think that there's just a different focus and that they're not, it, that the training and performance aren't that linked to injury that has become something more important? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I was I I was thinking about that as I was, uh, yeah, as I was reading this, and and I, I mean, I kind of took it in a different way. I guess I thought more about how medical advances, how like medicine in and of itself has changed so much over the past, you know, what, since 1980, you know, has changed over the past, what is that, 50, no, 40 years, uh, 30 or 40. Definitely not 20, though, and let's not talk about it. Oh, anyway, um, but... Uh, yeah, so I was like, oh, maybe that has something to do with medical advances. But I also, I also think that in medicine overall, because, you know, my, my research is in medicine, you know, there's more of a shift to prevention, right? And so I think that's where some, I mean, it seems like since medicine, as a whole has moved more toward prevention that it would make sense that soccer research would also look at prevention in regard to training. I, I guess I think of like training, not just in the skills needed to perform well during a game, but I also think of training as a strategy for injury prevention. Um, and I guess I, I did just quickly want to say, because I, can't remember if we said it so what he did was he searched soccer in PubMed and then he used the different filters that exist and so anyone can go and do this so you can you know take a second and google PubMed because I don't remember what the url is at the moment google PubMed go into the search bar type in soccer and then I I believe it's all on the left hand side there's a bunch of different things so you he didn't do this but you could um you can like uh, clarify by geography or language that it was published in, which I feel like that would have been interesting. Like ge- geography is super interesting to me. He didn't talk about that, but, um, and that's where you can sort by age group and things like that. And all of this is coming out of the metadata, which uh, Liz had mentioned before. But anyway, but yeah, that's where, that's, that's, that's what I thought about the, the shift away from injury, that it was more about, a focus on prevention, but I could be totally wrong about that. I think that's fair. Um, I think in the next section, he talks about like soccer and match performance. I know that we've avoided a lot of those com- those papers and conversations because we're really not worried about like how to watch a prettier game. We enjoy watching the games that we watch. We watch a wide variety of levels of soccer. But something that really stuck out to me, and I think that you've mentioned it before, is that the data collection methods have really changed and have opened up opportunities. Um, I don't know if that's as, is that as true in your research. Um, is it just because, or do here, do you think it's like video is getting better? Like, I'm not sure what methods are getting better. Do you have any thoughts on that? Because you do data collection? Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to data collection, I mean, something that we talked about in the last episode was the use of the mobile app for the symptom management for COVID, right? So it's like things like that, like mobile apps and mobile prompts, you know, you can, you know, and this isn't necessarily specific to soccer research, but I have heard of and read research where, you know, at certain times of day, the research team will send it, you know, this, you know, exists and, in like software, but we'll like email or, or sorry, we'll text 
research participants and like how are you feeling today like if you're like looking at depression or something like oh how are you feeling right now like scale of one to ten and the participant can just respond right so um you know i think technology has increased in that way i do think when it comes to I think, Liz, I think we talked about this a long time ago when we did that VAR episode, um, which that feels like ages ago. But, you know, when we did the VAR episode, you know, there are like different AI things, um, which like the facial recognition stuff gets like real icky and really ethically complex really quickly because those systems have been built on white faces. Anyway, but... um, So, I mean, I think there's, like, technology in that way that could be leveraged within soccer if you wanted to look at, you know, during match things or, like, simulations or, you know, things like that. You know, and even with um, virtual reality, like, I could imagine that that could be, like, a really excellent or that could be, like, a really cool way to do, again, some type of, like, simulation and how will the person respond. And then you could also, I mean, I'm, like, creating a research day right here in my mind. Okay, so, like, you use virtual reality and then you have, and so you create some sort of um, soccer simulation that you're, you know, feeding into the VR headset. And then you can, like, you could, like, attach, um, like, biometric monitors for, like, heart rate things like that and like do certain situations cause more stress for like older versus younger or more experienced or like going back to like how much time do you spend in training right like are there certain things and and that's where he gets to the rcts which is a randomized control trial which is kind of the cream of the crop the really best way and again there are like all kinds of other complicating factors that we don't have to get into right now but um you know, like, you could do that. Like, you could have some type of intervention of, like, okay, in... Okay, so you and I are both based in Pittsburgh. Winters are really long here in Pittsburgh. So, you know, could you say... Could you have, like, uh, indoor... You know, have some, like, soccer team, and you could randomize some players to go to an indoor training facility three days a week, and then you could randomize other people to like do the virtual reality training simulations like one or two of those three days and like is there a difference in their skills at the end of that right like okay there's a research project right there you're welcome make sure make sure you include anticipation that's very important for training we learned go listen to our previous episodes we've mentioned it at least twice and we would appreciate an acknowledgement Okay, thanks. Thanks. That's, anyway, that's the best. but um, um quick, that, I know that was a big rant, but quick, quick side note and a question: Can someone pick one of our topics, like our homework subjects, and then can we be used as a reference in their paper? Would that ever happen? So, not. So not as probably as a formal reference, like in the reference section. Can, can they do the acknowledgement well, at the beginning and be like, if it I mean, weren't we for soccer, better? That's right. We could definitely be in an acknowledgement. Okay, perfect. For I just, sure. I just want to know when people are going to talk more about me. I mean us. I mean the show. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's definitely about me. <laughs> Let's be clear. Um, no, I mean, I don't see why not. They could put us as a reference. Like, 
soccer better comma 2019 soccer better comma 2020 and having the reference like soccer better podcast episode blah 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 they talked about this they asked this question and here's your answer ladies and here's your answer and then researchers can come on the show we welcome all people oh my god i would love someone to basically mic drop us be like you asked boom here's your answer boom that'd be so okay cool. liz we are very much digressing okay. from this article oh but you know what the next area is we're finally to the cardiovascular part this is, oh. bring, let's bring it all home, cardiovascular. I, I mean, I don't know if it's really, I don't want to talk about any of the cardiovascular stuff, but I do find it, <laughs> she's laughing at me, guys. Um, the running part I thought was very interesting. Um, so that, you know, anyone who plays soccer knows that you don't run intensively for 90 minutes. And as someone who's never played soccer, this you can tell me it over and over again, but in my mind, you're just like this little, the little engine that could, and you're just running for 90 minutes. That's what my brain imagines. So good on all of you. I'm so proud of you. You're, you're my faves. Um, but in the end, for 90 minutes, they run uh, between, it's roughly, you know, six to nine miles is uh, what the average player runs. And that it's like this, these short bursts and the back and forth. Um, I just, I found that very interesting that that then correlated to some health benefits that a random coach found that started off like soccer research. I love how all of this, okay, let me start from the beginning, guys. There was a coach of children who noticed that the soccer moms were just chilling on the sidelines and he's like, here's a ball. Why don't you go kick the ball around and see how it goes? And then... The moms were playing pickup games instead of watching their children. I'm not sure what this did for the children's ego, but that's fine. We're not researching that apparently. But the moms got healthier and then they took the time to compare those individuals to people who distance run and like over whatever period of time see who got healthier faster or better, more healthier. It's real technical. I'm really good at explaining it. And the moms are more healthier because they ran six to nine miles a game. How'd I do? No, that was great. <laughs> I um, I kind of resent the term soccer moms. I mean, I am not a soccer mom, but like, what about the dads, right? Like, they anyway. weren't there. <laughs> okay, what about the dads who take their kids, right? Like, my dad always took me to my soccer practices. Anyway, and it was the I should 80s say more, Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Well, and I should say, my dad was, uh, he, so I have three sisters. We all played soccer. And my dad came to all of our game or most of our games, and he would be the ball person, who, like, ran up, and, and, like, in high school, right? Like, they just had one per side. And so he would, like, run up and down. Anyway, it was very cool. He was very engaged. That's and wonderful. Engaged yeah. parents are important. We are proud of all so of important. parents for being engaged. Yeah. And all, we also acknowledge that sometimes, you know, 
there are many reasons why parents who want to be engaged can't be engaged, right? Uh, so we acknowledge that too. There's also many ways to be engaged. Just because you weren't at the game doesn't mean you're not engaged. Correct. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, sorry. <laughs> I'm just like looking. I'm trying really hard not to be super snarky. I just, the rest of my comments about this article are snarky. Um, so Liz, I think, I believe the last section, oh, excuse me, the second to last section, the second to last section is called Evolution of Topics. Mm-hmm. Um, the first paragraph I have bracketed and my note says, why are you explaining this to me? So I don't know that I am in the best headspace to talk constructively oh, about sure. what he talked about. That's fine. I'll take the pass. Um, I did not make any notes on the first paragraph, but I'm sure he was talking to me as someone who doesn't do this kind of research. Um, I do think that he tried to bring out things uh, that had previously been talked about. So we're talking more about, so where we are talking about injuries, it's about head injuries and hamstring injuries. So that's a place that's already covered. So if you're a researcher, maybe don't hit those as hard. They are being covered especially like concussion protocols and concussions in general are very heavily being covered. Not that they're not important. I think that they're very important, but if you can find something that's, you know, more niche, I would go for that. I think it increases your likelihood of getting, you know, published. I think it increases your likelihood of us being interested in your articles. It's something that we're not seeing every day. And again, it's all about us. So keep that in mind. Um, Agility is like something that's got a huge increase so uh, people being more versatile, which in talking anecdotally to friends who have kids in soccer, um, it does seem like there has been a shift away from, especially the youths, being placed in a single position and being expected to just like own that position. And this is what you're doing. You're supposed to adapt more and be able to like go all over the field. And they're not... Uh, I don't know, specializing, I guess. They're not specializing the youths until much later in their careers. And I think that that's very interesting. I think that's what agility made me think of. I would be interested in an article about that, about why that has changed or if I'm just imagining it, which is also fine. Um, But yeah, I mean, the end was just really talking about what's on the rise. For me, if I was going to do a research article, I would have looked at that and been like, all right, I'm not doing any of these things because... There's just an ever-increasing number of articles. If you were a researcher, Laura Ellen, do you have, a, I mean, you have your VR article, but is there anything else that you didn't see mentioned here that you're like, I think that that's something that we should uh, delve into? Yeah, I think, I think as, so as a researcher and as a scientist myself, there's a very fine line especially when you are seeking grant funding because oftentimes funders are risk adverse Mm. and so they don't want you to try like this like thing that's way out here especially if there hasn't been a lot of research in that area because then the the chances of success are pretty limited and so there's very much this thought and this perception and it and it uh holds true in what actually gets funded especially for um federal funding here in the states um 
that it's uh, it's really about this like incremental change so like really building on topics that are like pretty common but maybe you find this like new tiny little sliver now if i was a researcher that you know had a uh, a research sugar daddy that feels a little pejorative yeah anyway um, if I had some, like, benefactor who had just, like, millions upon millions of dollars that was going to give me to fund whatever research topic I wanted to fund. And if I had already done my VR thing, I think, hmm, what would I want to study? You know, I think I would want to look at the economic consequences and on the field consequences of particularly like second division men's soccer but then also look at women's professional soccer um you better in the states yeah yeah, yeah. no but i think i want to look at um you know players who aren't paid a living wage for wherever they're living and so like what does that do for the stress of that player you know are they having to work additional jobs on the side are they having to like coach which then takes them away from their training which does that lead to injuries so i mean i think there's like a whole thing there there is another project that i am and have been kind of like working on and ruminating on for a while, but I'm not going to share that because I don't want anyone to scoop me. Um, yeah, that's the wrong kind because, of mic drop. Yeah, wrong kind of mic drop. But but I would be, but, but I think if I had like plenty of money, I feel like I would want to look at that and do like a baseline. So I would want to randomize different players on different teams within the leagues to receive some kind of um, stipend or, you know, something to like... It, get them up to receiving a living wage and then compare them to cohort members who perhaps aren't receiving that living wage and see if the stress levels are different. Um, because we know like there was a study that I saw, well, it wasn't really a study. It was more of a like pilot project for a universal basic income in California, um, that they like selected a bunch of people randomly to receive, a universal basic income check and it like decreased like all these negative outcomes and so i wonder what that could look like for um soccer players so that's what i would do what would you do liz i mean once i'm done with the youths and figuring out how early they should um specialize in different areas of the field i'm gonna pick something psychological it's gonna be inserting um, a therapist and it's gonna have to be for like two years or something because you have to get a mute like that first year saying you have to meet with someone I mean I'm gonna go once a week minimum and then you can meet as much as you want to after that but uh I think the first year like the, the I don't know your baseline is gonna be all over the place because it's gonna be real weird um but if you could find a like a a coach that had buy-in from that a team that had buy-in from that and just saying like what changed because you could you could do like a base test or an exit interview of the previous year's players year one where you're doing the transition what kinds of things did they find stressful what row bumps did you find and then year two so mine would have to be an extended study i'm a long-term thinker because if you're going to make this kind of change and you're going to try to implement it in anywhere it's going to be so difficult that I would hate to do it 
and present someone with a bunch of roadblocks um, that make someone go, see, it's not that important or it doesn't help that much that they have someone to talk to on a regular basis. So I think that I would do, you know, a three or four year project around that. That sounds great. So if you have money and you want to support Liz and I doing this work, uh, please hit us up on Twitter. Um, uh, if you have money and know someone who's an actual researcher, can you just send them my way and I'll be their happy assistant? I will gladly bring coffee and like put in my input, but I am not the right person to do this research. I will, I will not get you good results. I'm just going to be honest. I'm not a researcher. Laura Ellen deserves all the money. I will just be a happy assistant. <laughs> I will I will say the best research comes out of multidisciplinary teams. And so I think your perspective and your expertise can definitely still contribute something, even if it doesn't seem like it will like it like makes sense on paper. But um, I have worked with enough multidisciplinary teams that have kind of that like one or two people that you're like, well, how is, how are they going to like fit into all of this? That it really does make sense. So don't count yourself out. Uh, but yeah, I'll definitely take all the money into your research. Excellent. Um, and I'll find some economists and we'll do it. It'll be great. It's going to happen, guys. So that's it's how we're going to soccer better. You are going to give a couple of people a lot of money. Uh, one of them is going to be Laura Ellen. And part of the money for my person is that they have to let me play on the team that's what i want i want to be yes. part of their team i just want to be on the team um great liz anything else on this article or ways that we can soccer better i mean i didn't think i was actually going to get to like a, a firm soccer better but we did it i'm i'm real proud of how this article or this uh this recording ended thank Good you loss. to our host the beautiful yeah, game we're Network. really good at bgn so... covers teams across <laughs> the mls usl it's championship fine. and usl league one it's fine check out podcasts right, Liz, and rate and talk to at you bgn in the next episode you can follow us on twitter better. at bgn Bye. soccer better Bye. head over to itunes spotify google Podcasts, pocket cast or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to the show and leave us a review Otherwise, let us know what you thought about this episode and be sure to share it with a friend. Remember, you can always soccer better. The music in our show is Empty Rooms by Booze Radley. Thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to USL, MLS, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your custom kit today at IcarusFC.com.